We need to take the long view when it comes to systemic bias. My generation, the millennials or whatever buzzword you want to use, has this sensation of if things aren't on the internet that they don't exist. Not only have women been systematically excluded from the scientific community, but now they're not being written into the narrative of science as a whole. And as Wikipedians, we have this unique opportunity as historians, as biographers, such that we are, to make sure that women in science get their due in a way that no one else really has had the opportunity. Her campaign to add hundreds more women scientists to Wikipedia has inspired volunteers and supporters around the world. Their issue the content gap, especially when it comes to gender. This personal mission-turned-global movement has also become an institutional concern to address this long-standing gap in content about women who have made major contributions to the field of science and well beyond. We're minding the gap and cheering for change with Emily Templewood. For Wikimedia Deutschland, I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, and this is Source Code Berlin. So I started editing Wikipedia in 2007, which a lot of people on English Wikipedia say is like the glory days <laughs> of the project, which is a whole nother can of worms. Um, but I was 12. I was in the seventh grade um, in the suburbs of Chicago, and I had started out vandalizing Wikipedia Funnily enough, um, I thought my sister was a butthead, and I thought the world needed to know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so the initial interest was uh, something very personal, and uh, mm-hmm. you weren't trying to change the world. No, no, I was trying to inform the entire world of how much of a butthead my sister was. <laughs> okay. And, and so from, from something very, and I think some of us can relate to that, uh, those of us with siblings or, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, how does it then go from my sister is a butthead, which I'm assuming actually she's not, but, uh, <laughs> to, to, you know, there, there is something bigger I want to do here. Yeah, I, it was almost 10 years ago, so I can't remember <laughs> what exactly it was, but I saw something about, you know, the people behind Wikipedia or like something showing a little bit of the behind the scenes work. And I realized that like I had created a bunch of work for some other human being Hmm. and that I was, you know, creating a problem for this admittedly very cool project. And I was like, well, I should make up for that. I should do something useful to make up for that. Um, And here I am like 10 years later. Still making up for it. Still uh, making up for it. <laughs> yeah, so so I mean that is quite responsible of you even back then. You <laughs> you wanna make up for having, you know, the, the word vandalized uh Wikipedia. Yeah. So so what do you then start to do? Are you just writing whatever comes to mind, whatever topics you want? Um, so I picked up on wiki markup really quickly. So the first thing I did was actually a lot of like stub sorting and categorizing and organizing. Um, which is ironic because, you know, 
I was a seventh grader. My room was a complete mess. My locker was a mess. And here I am organizing things on the internet. Um, (laughs) And then I started writing about about music, um, like whatever bands that I liked, whatever songs that I liked, and doing, you know, administrative things because I wasn't that great of a writer being, you know, 12 years old. And I wasn't that great of a researcher being 12 years old. Um, But that was a thing that I could do. Um, so I did a lot of administrative stuff for the first few years. I became an admin at the end of 2007. Um, and I did a lot of that stuff, um, up until about 2012 when I really started to write. And in the non Wikipedia part of your life in the, in the learning of the world around you, I'm thinking a little bit the (laughs) academic life that yeah. uh, was eventually coming up, not necessarily at 12, but but within a few <laughs> years. What was going on with your interests and your focus? Um, well, I was a really nerdy kid. Um, I was a very, very nerdy kid. And I was in middle school, and I was, you know, kind of awkward. Um, I was in a spelling bee, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really have a really strong academic interest until high school. Um, and that kind of coincided with my break from Wikipedia. I thought I wanted to do physics for a few years and, you know, now here I am going to medical school. Um, so, you know, it, it, it kind of changed along the way. Hmm. Always coming back to science, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've always been interested in science since I was really little. Um, and I thought for a long time that I wouldn't be in the sciences for some reason. Um, but I guess the call was too, too loud for me to ignore. Um, because here I am with a degree in molecular biology. By, by the way, Emily, how, how have you experienced, you know, uh, I, I went to university in the, in the nineties and plenty of people mm-hmm. listening. We probably span a lot of different uh, decades in terms of when we went to school and what we studied. There you are interested in sciences, even if, your interest in specific sciences has shifted or changed. Um, mm. What was it like for you? What was the experience like as a as a student getting into the field, m- moving towards becoming a professional? Uh, it's a very general question, but I'm curious anyway to see what what yeah what it was like. <laughs> um, I mean, the first the first thing was that it was difficult to choose what field of science I wanted to do. Um, I took you know a lot of science classes in high school. I took um, a ton of different biology classes, um, in university. And it took me a couple years to arrive on medicine because there was just so many things that I was interested in and so many things that I was thinking about. Um, and I started volunteering in a research lab and I love it, but it's not what I want to do with the rest of my life. And that was very, um, confusing for me because that's what I always assumed I would do. Hmm. And as this interest develops, uh, eventually leading to, to medicine, um, what's your, how has that changing relationship with, uh, with Wikipedia? So actually my first taste of medicine was through Wikipedia. Hmm. Um, I mean, of course I'd, you know, been to the doctors and whatever we all have, but, um, there's a rare genetic disease that runs in my family, um, which I fortunately don't have. And, I found the papers that came out of a study that my family participated in and thought it was really interesting and decided that this Wikipedia article needed a lot of work. 
So I went back and I read everything that's ever been written about this disease, which sounds really impressive, but it's actually not because it was only discovered in like 1977. Um, <laughs> and I spent a few months learning everything I could um, about it and writing this article. And when I was done, I sent it to my grandma who has this disease and she was so happy to see this, um, you know, and, and get a picture of this disease that she'd had for so long. Um, so that was really my first taste of medicine. Um, and I wrote about a lot of other rare genetic diseases that do not run in my family on Wikipedia. Um, and from there moved to women's health, um, and reproductive health. And that kind of paralleled my journey from, you know, genetics and molecular biology into medicine. And and throughout, Very poetic. yeah, and and throughout that journey, you're uh, besides you know the research, you're also using that research to edit articles. Yeah, um, yeah, it it all comes back to Wikipedia. Mm. Um, you know, whenever I learn something new, it's like, oh, can I help Wikipedia on that? At some point, you become a visible figure, and obviously. In terms of community, the Wikipedia community, you, you're, you're an admin. You're you're also moving within the community to to taking on more responsibilities. It seems. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I'm an arbitrator on English Wikipedia, also as of January. Um, so, yeah, and it's not it's not like I'm I'm seeking that responsibility. It's not the most uh, fun, scintillating thing to do, but I seem to be good at it. Um, so it works. Yeah. And you're willing. I mean, it's not, you know, more responsibility is not something you're, you're shying away from. No, I mean, I like, I like doing administrative stuff. I like, um, cutting through disputes and mm. getting to the heart of things. Um, and generally solving problems. And that's another problem to solve. Yeah. I mean, the the, the Wikimedia, uh, Wikipedia community is something that uh, there's so much that can be studied and observed over the years. You, you talked about 2007 being the, the golden age in terms of Wikipedia <laughs> in general. Um, w- within the community, you're, you're managing disputes. It's even then and, and now it's it's not easy. I mean, it seems like it's a difficult world. Wikipedia has always been um, dysfunctional, I think. At least as long as I've been participating in it. Um, and I'm not sure that 2007 was the glory days. Um, that is something I would dispute. Mm-hmm. But it's such an interesting community dynamic, the way that bureaucracy has emerged from anarchy, um, which I think is fascinating. And I think you know sociologists at some point are going to have a field day. Bureaucracy from anarchy. I like it. Yeah. I'm thinking about that. We had the um, the first editor of uh, German Wikipedia on uh, just the other program, previous program. Oh wow! And uh, you know, I was asking him a, a general observation after fifty because they hit fifteen years, and mm-hmm. he said uh, the simplest thing that he said was, "This was nothing, and we made it something." <laughs> you know, that's very accurate. <laughs> there was nothing here. You know, he talked about open space and and mm. uh, room. So you know, there you are, not in the era where there's you know completely open space. People are posting articles. Mm-hmm. Uh, surely, since two thousand seven to two thousand even okay. sixteen, there's lots of content on Wikipedia. But here we come to 
uh, one of many problems or perhaps something of a larger uh, issue, which is, I'm going to use the word representation. I don't know if that's the right word. It's the one that comes to mind first. We say, we say the content gap. The content gap, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So for anyone that's listening that, that is just, you know, a, a casual internet user that doesn't think perhaps too deeply about, especially when they go to Wikipedia, what's going on <laughs> here, right? They just get what they want and they go what they think they, they needed. Uh, right. Let's talk about the content gap. What, introduce it to the, to the new people out there. Sure, sure. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, the content gap is the, the gap between how much coverage we have of uh, people who are white, who are men, who are cisgender, who are from the West, and people who are not. Yeah. That's the simplest way to explain yeah. it, really. Yeah, yeah and, and for anyone that remembers, haha, encyclopedias, you know, the, the, the leather-bound, perhaps, uh, leather-bound collection of books you had in your house, they were highly respected by, by many people, but... Within those, we also had potential, I mean, depending on which collection, a a content gap. And I would say unless you have a specialist, you know, print encyclopedia, then there's almost definitely, definitely a content gap. Yeah. And that's the beauty of Wikipedia is that we're not limited by space and we're not limited by deadlines. So we can, we can really dig in and fix that. And so... Uh, as we continue down your your path, um, mm-hmm. and, and and you're not alone. Many people are with you uh, on this journey, trying to yes. make change, or or maybe that's not even uh, contribute something uh, that's that's mm-hmm. missing. Um, we eventually come to this issue of gender specifically, and and as you just pointed yes. out, we could go in lots of diff- different directions in terms of the gap. But when it comes to gender, there's a a, a very significant gap on on Wikipedia. Yeah, there definitely is. And, um, you know, it's, it's palpable. You see in discussions, you know, you'll have a whole discussion go where only men participate. Um, so that's the, that's the gender gap on the contributor side. And on the content side, um, there, there, we're at 16% women biographies on, on English Wikipedia. Um, and I don't ever expect it to be 50-50 um, because women have been systematically excluded from science and from other fields, um, you know, for for hundreds of years. But, you know, it should be higher than 16%. That's, that's of all biographies on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. 16% mm-hmm. of them are, are of women. Yes. Huh. And that's actually up from... 15 or 14.8 percent last year aha uh-huh. okay so in the past year we've added like one percent yeah I th- you know one of the questions that people will ask uh, i'll ask is how, how did how is it that we the initial if we call the first 10 years of wikipedia the sort of you know early years um mm-hmm. that this this gap uh, exists well, it exists for a few reasons, and some of them are due to Wikipedia, and some of them are due to society. Mm. Um, so the societal reasons are that women and people of color in Anglophone countries are systematically excluded from participating in academia and from participating in a lot of public sphere activities by which they might attain notability. Mm. So we have that. You know, there weren't 
any black women doctors in the United States until the late 1800s. So that's, that's the problem of where's the maximum. And then the other problem is that, you know, a lot of these people are written about in obscure sources. So it's hard. It was hard. It's getting less hard to find information on them so that Wikipedians can write about them. And then there's the problem of Wikipedia demographics, which are overwhelmingly white male from the West. And, you know, those that demographic may not be as interested in writing about, you know, women or people of color. And I say may not because there are plenty who are, but as, as a, as a conglomerate, they're more inclined to write about other things. Yeah. Yeah. We know that the science fiction or comic book heroes get, get a lot of coverage compared to, I don't know. Oh, yes. And it's not that those things aren't important. They are, but they are, are covered well in a way that equally important things are not. Yeah. And and so let's put you back into this puzzle or in this situation because we've been talking about a gap as exists regardless of uh, at least in 2007 regardless of what Emily is doing. But then let's yeah. factor you in and also people have been inspired by you. Um, you start chipping away at this uh, in in your in your own way. Yeah. So um, sometime between 2010 and 2012. I, I don't know exactly when people started running Ada Lovelace Day events in October, yeah. celebrating the birthday of Ada Byron Lovelace, who was the world's first computer programmer mm-hmm. uh, before there were computers. That's how awesome she was. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were holding events in which we'd write about women scientists, and they were all kind of one-off, one-off things. And I was participating in one at, at the uh, Royal Society remotely, mm-hmm. and realized that there were all these women who were fellows of the Royal Society, which is a huge accomplishment in science, uh, that didn't have Wikipedia articles. And it was like a Friday night. I'm in my dorm, you know, my freshman year dorm in college, like sitting in the hallway, watching like drunk people come home from parties, writing about a British parasitologist. Hmm. Um, And the gap was very apparent then because there were just lists and lists of fellows of the Royal Society and all these women are red linked. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was the genesis of Wiki Project Women Scientists. And I'm proud to say that every female fellow of the Royal Society now has a Wikipedia article. Wow. Um, But let's talk about the Wiki Project. Um, You founded this uh, together with others in, um, what was that, 2012, somewhere around there? Yeah, November 2012. What, what's it take to found such a project? I mean, what did it take at the time? What do you have to do? Who do you have to talk to? <laughs> <laughs> well, anybody can found a wiki project. As I said, bureaucracy generated from anarchy. <laughs> um, I talked to my friend Sarah Sturch, who had started Wiki Project Women Artists. Um, so she kind of knew what you needed to do to organize it. Um, and the main things in creating a wiki project are to like find your articles and to, you know, make sure that there's a place for people to join in and things for them to do. Um, so finding articles was actually a relatively easy task because we have all these women X categories on English Wikipedia. And I don't know if you remember the Amanda Filipacci scandal of a couple years ago where she got really mad 
that there were categories for women writers. Ah. Um, I got into a ton of arguments all over the internet about why we need those categories because otherwise, if we didn't have the category women biologists, I would have had to sift through like 15,000 dudes Mm. to find the few women. Um, And that would have been terrible. And, you know, it, it makes noting the gender gap so much easier when we have those women X categories. Right. From what, like just hearing it, the, the, the counter argument is, is more of the, well, in a equal society, then everybody's just a writer, right? That's, that's the, well, yeah. And it mm-hmm. is, it is ghettoization in some ways. Um, and it is important to also categorize those people as not just women X. So, you know, you have women biologists, but also, you know, parasitologists and mm-hmm. also, you know, people from X college, but we don't live in a just and equal society. Mm-hmm. And until we do, you know, this is something that we can do to help fix it. Yeah. Um, and that's worth the downside, I think. Yeah, and what's impressive when looking over the Wiki Project Women Scientists, uh, the way you've uh, categorized uh, articles in terms of quality, uh, in terms of completeness, like really, really yeah. clear. <laughs> yeah, and that's definitely not just me. There's, uh, um, if you're looking at the page, there's 70 people, mm-hmm. um, last I checked, yeah. most of whom are not blocked. And many of whom actually do write about women scientists on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's impressive and extremely well organized and clear and yeah, well, like you, you said, bureaucracy from anarchy. Or, it really or, is. Yes. Um, so at some point, and this is something I, I have seen the the media has picked up on, and I don't uh, fancy myself a follower of doing what the media does, but okay, um, they really get into this issue of the reaction, and then uh, even sort of hatred, or maybe we should just call them trolls, right? Because it's uh, yeah. it's a known thing on the internet. You become the target, which I, I we start to see, I think, as we put together the path, like how it happens but it's still yeah pretty hard to believe or not even hard to believe but you know the why 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 the, the amount of attention or energy dedicated to being angry at you uh, seems to be quite significant <laughs> i mean it's not just me it's any woman who exists um as an activist on the internet gets this and many of them get it worse than i do hmm. um but i wish i understood why I really, I really do. I don't. It, it, it doesn't exist, does it? More like the question is, does it exist when you're not on the internet? Do, do you receive? I mean, yeah. It does? Absolutely. Okay. okay so oh, people, yeah. I thought it was I mean, one of those any- cases where people behave different online than they would in person to you. Um, no, the kinds of things I get on the internet, I mean, they're more intense, but they're the, in the same vein of things that get yelled at me when I walk down the street mm. or sit on a train or, you know, existing in public space. It's the same kind of... Um, taking up space in public. Yeah. So all kinds of people coming forward. Uh, this has been going on for some time now. Uh, all kinds of negative, angry uh, reactions to the work that you do. Uh, some people would, uh, you know, well, sh- surely at some point you do send it all to the trash, ignore it, or oh, yeah. uh, or be c- extremely uh, scared or depressed by it, probably depressed. Um, yeah. You you have a somewhat unique reaction. Uh, I'm going to say unique because I don't know enough people <laughs> receiving this kind of hate and doing what you're doing. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about it. 
Yeah, so it's obviously very upsetting when people send you hate. Um, the thing that made me the most angry was when someone called the entire idea of women scientists feminist lies. Mm. That that really that really got me going. I was mad for like a week. Um, but you get so much energy from seeing people say awful things about you, whether it's, you know, that you're an ugly fat bitch or that your project is feminist lies or that, you know, you gave sexual favors to have what you have, you know, any, any of that. Hmm. Um, and the instinctive response is to like curl up in a ball and cry, um, which is something that is very understandable and something that I still do sometimes. Um, but you also feel this very unproductive anger. And I remember getting very angry a few times and being like, well, screw these guys. I'm going to go write about women scientists. You know, like what, what do misogynists hate more than, you know, coverage of women scientists, I guess was my logic. Um, And then I started getting, a particularly persistent set of like harassing emails. And I was like, all right, fine. For every one this dude sends me, I'm going to, I'm going to write an article. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And in my backlog, I have, let's see, 123 articles to write. Still to write. And that's on top of uh, close to, if not more than a hundred already written. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, I've written, I think 50 some, (laughs) Um, in mm-hmm. the past couple months mm-hmm. for, for, for harassers. Um, and I have, yeah, 123 left. Yeah. So they're, they're making you much more productive, in fact. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're reaching the point where they're making me almost as productive as the 100 Wikidays campaign, where you write a new article on Wikipedia um, every day for 100 days. And you're, you're being more productive in that project? Or, or you, um, you, you, <laughs> yeah, I, it's approaching. It's approaching where I'm. I'm gonna hit more productivity than I did when I did 100 Wiki Days. And so, yeah, I mean, this is something that a lot of people are are sort of pausing to to point out. It's also, I think, not so much. Hopefully, not so much about. Uh, hey, look, here's someone who gets a lot of hate, and in the end, uh, takes the hate and, and makes something good about it. It's it, it becomes a way to talk about the larger issue. I've noticed, especially with with good quality yes. uh, media out there, um, which is exactly what we need. You know, what I do. You know, I'm I'm just one person writing, right? Sure. The attention needs to be on the things that we're making together. Um, the other project that I'm really involved in is Wiki Project Women's Health, which is an offshoot of Wiki Project Medicine. Um, We've discovered that a lot of women's health-related articles need a ton of work. Um, you know, there's whole subspecialties that haven't been written up yet. Um, so that's kind of the other thing that I'm chipping away at. I've been writing a lot about um, gynecologic oncology, um, pediatric gynecology, stuff like that, so that you know, women's health is well represented on Wikipedia and with. Rosie Stepp's new Women in Red project that was introduced at um, Wikimania last year. We now have this umbrella where we can coordinate all of our systemic bias-related efforts. Um, And if if you haven't checked out Women in Red yet, go check it out. Um, It's on English Wikipedia. um, But we work with people from all language communities to increase their coverage of women. Um, And it's called Women in Red because non 
um, articles that haven't been created yet are red links. editing Wikipedia since 2007. I've written maybe 4,000 articles, maybe a little bit more in that period of time. And it struck me that I'm a woman and I'm a writer and we didn't have a project for that. So with the support of some other Wikipedians, I created Wiki Project Women. I don't know how many articles we initially had in our scope. Our scope is women writers and works written by women, but I can tell you that it was a pretty small number in comparison to the biographies and works written by men. And now we have, since 2014, just over 25,000 articles within our scope. I'd say that's pretty good. Fast forward to 2015, and I was invited by a gentleman called Roger Bamkin of the UK to present with him at Wikimania 2015 on something unique, something that wasn't going on at the time, and that was let's create a project. And that project, like Wiki Project Women Writers, would be a project just dedicated to writing articles about not just the writers, but other women. We had wiki project scientists, wiki project artists, and so forth about women, but let's do one that is just women broadly, red links about women. I was in. I bought it hook, line, and sinker, and I said, yes, I'm in. Let's write up the proposal, and hopefully we'll get to Wikimania, and hopefully we'll get to talk about it. And we did. We got to Wikimania, and we announced it. This wiki project just dedicated to coming up with red lists of articles and clicking that red link and writing that article about women. So in our first month, well, it was only a half a month. It was from um, July 11th to July 31st. We had about 1,000 articles. And now, six months later, we've written almost 9,000 articles. Now, would some of those articles have been written even if we didn't have women in red? Surely they would have. But I have to say that some of what we've done, and we've done a lot, we've got a great group of writers, is important, and I think we can replicate it. So what have we done? We found in our um, second, third month of existence that the Smithsonian reached out to us and said, we're going to have an edit-a-thon. Can you support us doing something virtual? We said yes. It was on Asian Pacific American women, and our team of writers, just virtually all over the world, we wrote in three days 36 articles that supported the event that was happening at the Smithsonian. The following month, or actually later that month in September, we thought, well, we don't need you know, an organization to host an edit-a-thon, we can do this virtually, we'll just do it virtually, we're going to do it women in leadership. So instead of creating Wiki Project Women in Leadership, we just went ahead and did an edit-a-thon, virtual, online, and we created hundreds of articles. The next thing we did is we got a call from the Guggenheim, and we supported the Guggenheim with their 
um, women in architecture and design, and we created 164 articles virtually online. And then we did women in science in collaboration with the New York Academy of Science, and we created almost 350 articles. In December, we went back to doing something by ourselves. We thought December, religion, okay, let's tackle it, 129 articles. We're now in January. We just started the one women in music, and we created so far 138 articles, and we're still working on it. And when I say we, we invite people. We spam talk pages. We're telling them what we're doing and when we're doing it. We've done it for three days. We've done it for seven days, 10 days, 21 days. In March, it's going to be 31 days when we do art and feminism. And we get people excited. They might just participate in the one event. They might decide, I really like this. I'm going to participate in a whole bunch of these events. You don't have to sign up. Just write the articles. But if you want to sign up, we've got a meetup page for every one of the events we host. And we'd be glad to have you put your name as a participant or not. Just do the work. Yeah, that's something always sort of in the background here that a lot of what we're talking about is so far in English and it's always a, um, an, also an interesting issue to see what's going on in, in other languages and, and how this might inspire even uh, those in other languages or perhaps we could be inspired by uh, what's going on in the other language uh, Wikipedias as well. Well, yeah, just the other day I heard from an Arabic Wikipedian who works with the education program and she's getting her classes to translate women scientists into mm. Arabic, which hmm. is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and and so good for the students to get the exercise, and good for Wikipedia uh, as it, a whole. It's a win-win. Yeah, and I, I asked about you know the the difficulties or or not just the difficulties, what was required to start your first wiki project. Um, I want to come back to that just a little. How sure. much support or what kind of support uh, do you get or even need really with with uh, now, for example, uh, women's health, uh, but even with the wiki project, how much support do you get? What's the relationship with the like the foundation there? So the Wikimedia Foundation has nothing right. to do with that. Um, what they do do is support a lot of real life events. So, for example, the chapter that I'm a part of, Wikimedia DC, um, much like Wikimedia Deutschland, runs a lot of um, different real-life get-togethers, real-life edit-a-thons, um, and those are financially supported by the foundation. So those can do a lot to decrease systemic bias, but the online component doesn't get a lot of you know, financial or otherwise support. Yeah, the editathons have become something uh, you hear a lot about in in different places, different parts of the world now. Where, where yeah, people... yeah, and it, and it's great. Um, it's a great way to build community. It's a great way to work on, you know, changing Wikipedia. And it's it's a great way to you know get together and have yeah. fun. In terms of the survival of Wikipedia, that's always a, a topic somewhere in the background here, the survival, the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've talked about the importance of engaging experts. Could you explain a little bit about why that would be so important for the survival? And, and how is it that even until now, has there been a lack of engaging of experts? There definitely has been. And in a lot of fields, experts are not necessarily the best people to be writing articles, but they're definitely the best people to be guiding um, what we should be working on. So 
you know, I've gotten several emails from women in science over the past few weeks saying, hey, so-and-so is really important in my field. You should write about her. Hmm. You know, th- things like that. Um, so engaging experts, that's one thing that they can do. Um, also, experts are great at reviewing content. Wiki Project Medicine is setting up um, a way to have experts review our content um, in a more systematic way. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the the glam aspect, you know, where we work with institutions and can get content donations, you know, pictures and documents for Wikisource yeah. and all of that. That's that's really, really useful for us as a project. Yeah, and I've even noticed a role. Uh, it's just a reoccurring keyword or, or secret word on this program uh, for Wikidata uh, in, in yes. what you do. I think I saw that appearing on the uh, either Women Scientists Wiki Project site or somewhere there. Yeah, yeah. Wikidata offers us a great opportunity. Um, so thank you, Wikimedia Deutschland, to figure out what's being written about in other languages and, you know, be able to more systematically find and organize what we need to write about. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's just funny how it. Uh, I don't do it intentionally, but as I go forward looking at different areas of, especially on an international level, what's happening with different Wikipedia and editors and communities, it, uh, it, it's, we always find our way back to Wikidata nowadays. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be uh, the unlikely but very popular clearinghouse. Yeah. It's kind of the, the middleman, which I think is exactly what it's meant to do. Is there anything, as, as we talk about these issues, um, something specifically that I've missed that, that you'd like to add or point out, whether it be a, a moment in this, this brief history that we're talking about or a project that you think needs more attention? Go for it. I'll, I'll make room for it. <laughs> I think that we need to take the long view when it comes to systemic bias and when it comes to, we'll, we'll use women in science as a stand-in for other areas of systemic bias. Mm-hmm. Um, not only have women been systematically excluded from uh, the scientific community, but now they're not being written into the narrative of science as a whole. And that's a travesty. And as Wikipedians, we have this unique opportunity as historians, as biographers, such that we are, um, to make sure that women in science get their due in a way that no one else really has had the opportunity. You know, people will write one book, or they'll write a series of books. But we have the opportunity to make sure that the world's most widely used reference work contains the women who deserve their due. Um, And that is super important. And my generation, you know, the millennials or whatever buzzword you want to use, has this sensation of if things aren't on the internet, that they don't exist. And we, a lot of these women are not accessible on the internet. They're only in books, you know, and we have this opportunity to make sure that they're on the internet, make sure that they exist to my generation and to future generations. Yeah, great. Thanks so much, Emily, for, for taking the time this morning. And uh, yeah. Thank you so much. For doing what lovely. you do. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Emily Templewood is a Wikipedia editor. I told you I wrote a lot of content, over 4,000 articles. 
In the last year or so, I've done some concentration on articles about women's conferences. You know, suffragettes from 100 years ago, women interested in peace conferences from maybe 90 years ago. And I had an epiphany. I'm putting this out to the universe. Universe, please listen. Let us convene a conference, an international thematic conference on content gender gap. Let's talk about replicating some of the things we've done well. We, we haven't done everything perfectly. We could use some help. But surely the other language Wikipedias could benefit from what we've learned and from what we've done and we from them. Let's bring in subject matter experts. Let's bring in people who understand project management and let's help each other move this forward. Appearing periodically on today's program, in addition to Emily Templewood, we also heard excerpts of Rosie Stevenson Goodnight, a.k.a. Rosie Stepp, speaking at the Wikimedia Foundation in January of this year, which was published under a CCBY license. Music on today's program was by Ehran Alicia and Roy Campbell, Adriana Kriekel, and Boom Boom Beckett all published under CC licenses and available on the Free Music Archive. If you like what we do, then you can listen to more or leave a comment on our website, sourcecode.berlin. There's also our Facebook page and, of course, Twitter, at SRC Code Berlin. This podcast is published under a CCBYSA 4.0 license and edited by me. Until next time, I'm Mark Fonseca Renderu. Thanks for listening. the opportunity to make sure that the world's most widely used reference work contains the women who deserve their due 